Hello, and welcome to Covered Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Glass Castle. The Glass Castle was written by Jeanette Walls and published in 2005. And the film adaptation came out in 2017 and was directed by someone who I'm looking up right now Daniel on IMDb. Daniel Destin Cretton? That's it. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yep. I don't even need to look it up. I knew it. Daniel Destin Cretton, mm-hmm. uh, who is basically his only other main uh, directing attribute before this was Short Term 12. Also starring Brie Larson, who oh, plays yeah. the main character in this book. Really movie. good movie. We'll probably talk about it later, but really, really good movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what that came out in 2017, right? <laughs> uh, the movie? Yeah. The Glass Castle. Yeah. Glass Castle came out in 2017? Yes. I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're correct. (laughs) I'm just doing your job for you right now. (laughs) You are. (laughs) I'm just going to actually not even be here next episode. It'll just be me talking. Adina will be playing the part of Ian and Adina in the next episode. (laughs) So if anyone isn't familiar with The Glass Castle, it's a pretty popular book almost like a classic now in the library community at least in the elite <laughs> in library, the library community, community. <laughs> um but it's a memoir so this is our second memoir uh non-fiction episode so that's exciting and it's about a woman who um was a gossip columnist for um a couple different papers and magazines and she's sort of like talking about her life and her turbulent and eccentric childhood with parents that were less than traditional and kind of like how she grew up and then what became of her and how she kind of became her own person. Um, so it's really it's really good. Um, it starts out in the present tense or present, I guess, for the book. And, yeah, because it's um, like the 80s, right? Yeah, it's like the 80s, or I'd say it's like the 90s, maybe. Okay. Um, sometime around then, but um, the adult Jeanette is... Long enough ago, they had she had really goofy clothing in the movie. Yeah, yeah. The adult, <laughs> Shoulder pads. The adult Jeanette is like kind of living her own life, and but then she spots her mom uh, digging through a dumpster on her way to a party in New York City. And she kind of has this moment where she's ashamed of her parents. And then later she talks with her mom about it. And her mom's like, you should just tell people about your life. Like, why are you ashamed? And that kind of inspired her to write about her life. And so she, then she writes this memoir. And then after that little brief episode, we go back to her childhood. Yeah. And so, uh, the book from that point just goes straight back to her first memory growing up at Mm -hmm. the age of like three, Uh, Whereas the movie kind of keeps jumping back to the present and there's kind of a present. And once again, the present is like late 80s, early 90s. There's kind of a present day um, plot going on on, uh, where Brie Larson plays the adult version of Jeanette. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of one of the one of the primary differences of the book to movie is kind of this jumping back and forth in time where the book is just kind of straight through her entire life growing up. Yeah. Um, And I think it's definitely they wanted to have more Brie Larson in it and who can blame them? Yeah, I mean, everyone wants more Brie Larson. She's great. I know I do. <laughs> when the hell is um, Captain Captain Marvel coming out? I know. Oh, she's going to be such a badass. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway. So, um, you know, she has an older sister named Lori mm-hmm. and a younger brother named Brian and they kind of grow up in um, 
traveling around a lot. Yeah. You know, they move from one town to another, to another, to another. And I, in the book, she says that she remembers the interior of their car more than any house or apartment they lived in growing up, mm-hmm. which really tells you something. Yeah, and they're always kind of staying one step ahead of their bill collectors, basically. And their dad jokes that the FBI is after him. But uh, you really know that it's it's their bills are catching up to them or they're getting in trouble, and so they're just skipping town. Um, and... Jeanette's earliest memory is really interesting because... Interesting is in horrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not exactly interesting. It's, of course you would remember it. Her, she gets really horribly burned. Uh, not to keep you guys in suspense. <laughs> <laughs> so she's three years old, and she remembers standing up on a stool and cooking hot dogs in boiling water on the stove. And her mom is in the other room, like, painting something. And she's wearing, like, this dress or this tutu, and it catches fire off the stove. And she starts screaming, and her mom comes to put out the fire. But at this point, she sustained burns on, like, almost all of her torso. And they take her to the hospital, and she has really horrifying burns, and they actually have to use skin grafts on her. Yeah, so she's in the hospital for, like, six weeks. Yeah. And the parents come and, like, visit and stuff, but... Uh, you really get a good indication of her life at this point uh, in the story because she talks about like, oh, she liked the hospital because everyone was really nice and they had food. They had all this food All there. the time. And the nurses gave her chewing gum, which was like a real treat for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the parents come and visit and you kind of get an early sense for the mom and dad. You know, they're kind of rowdy. They're kind of goofy. And, you know, when they come to get her, they're, like, trying to make her feel better. And they're like, oh, you know, we entered you into this raffle um, at a fair while you were gone. And you won. You won a helicopter ride. She's like, wow, great. When do I get to go on it? And they're like, you idiot. We already went on it. (laughs) Of course we're not going to wait for you. Yeah, and I feel like that's a really good example of just the self-absorption of her parents in a lot yeah. of ways like they don't even consider that they should they enter Jeanette's name in the raffle and so maybe Jeanette should go on the actual helicopter <laughs> ride and another little glimpse into what's really going on in her life is when they have like doctors and some social workers start talking to her and they're questioning her and they're like why were you cooking hot dogs on the stove when you are literally three years old. <laughs> and She's like, course, I do it all the time. Of course, Jeanette, it's, it's so oblivious. And I love the way that the writer writes this because she writes it kind of from this innocent perspective. You know, she's not yeah. really like, oh, and little did I know that I was, you know, doing something <laughs> that was so unheard of for three-year-olds. You know, she's, she's just sort of presenting this to you like she would have seen it as a three-year-old. And you can kind of pick up from context clues like, And just from common sense, (laughs) that cooking hot dogs on a (laughs) stove is not a normal activity for a three-year-old child. Yeah, I loved the way this book was written in terms of just being very factual. Yeah. Uh, But the author, she was very um, smart in what to include and what not to include. And you can kind of, as the reader, pick up a lot of context of what's being inferred by what she includes. Yeah. For example, one chapter ends with them out in the desert and they're looking at a Joshua tree Mm -hmm. and it's all like bent and twisted from the wind and just years of being windswept in this canyon. And I I forget if Jeanette makes the comment about it being sad or looking sad. And the mom 
replies that, you know, it's the struggle of the tree that makes it beautiful, yeah. like the, the, in this pose. And that's just where the chapter ends with that quote. And I remember reading that specifically and just being like, wow, that just tells you so much about the mom Yeah. in that way that she thinks like, you know, the struggles you go through in life really shape you and mm-hmm. that like... Make um, you better. Yeah, challenges and mm-hmm. difficulties make you stronger and like better and... You know, I I just really appreciated specifically in that moment the way the story was written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely like I just I liked I liked reading it because it wasn't overly like trying to sway you to a certain point of view, but there's a lot yeah. of information given to you, and you could sort of like go where you wanted with that. Um, Jeanette eventually gets out of the hospital, not because she was discharged, but because her dad sneaks her out. They did the skedaddle, <laughs> as they call it. Whether to escape their medical bills or to escape the uh, social workers' interest in Jeanette's uh, home life, whatever the reason, uh, the dad kind of comes in, grabs Jeanette, and they take off. Yeah, and you know this just kind of continues their nomadic lifestyle. Um, they spend some time in a town called Battle Mountain mm-hmm. that's considered like one of the saddest towns like in america pretty much based on like its economic status and like the population like it's in phoenix i believe oh it's in nevada oh it's in nevada mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah i'm sorry uh they later moved to phoenix yeah which is an interesting time in their life and in the story mm-hmm. which the movie completely glosses over or doesn't include i'm sorry uh which makes sense but the mom's mom passes away Mm -hmm. and she and she was pretty well off yeah and so uh Jeanette's mom inherits uh some land in Texas and this house in Phoenix and so they move into Phoenix and they also inherited some money so for the first time they have some money and a consistent place to stay and they're there for a while and things seem to be going well uh but if you needed an example of how horrible their parents can just fuck anything up, yeah. this is the example because they just let their entire good situation in Phoenix, just they just drive it right into the ground. They do. And they one of the best examples of this is the house itself. Yeah. And how they just like <laughs> neglect the house and, you know, they have like bugs in there and then termites are in the house and the dad says something like well there's nothing we can do we just have to live alongside the termites he's like it's too bad to fix it so we just have to let it go and of course their whole house starts rotting and then they can't go up the steps because the second floor is sort of like collapsing and it's just like there's there's this part where they talk about how every night they leave their doors open and their windows open And how these creepy people just, like, sneak into their house either because they just need a place to crash and they Mm -hmm. think it's abandoned or because they're trying to molest the children. Which happens one night. Jeanette wakes up to uh, a man in her bedroom touching her and they chase him out. And this is one of my favorite parts because something you discover quickly about these children is despite how terrible this situation is, they're, like, impervious I shouldn't yeah. say impervious. No. Because I think they're greatly disturbed by a lot of the stuff that happens later. Um, but as children, they seem so resilient to the stuff that happens. 
And later that night, they patrol like the neighborhood with like a hatchet and a baseball bat looking for perverts. Yeah. And like the following nights after that, they'll just like go out with these weapons and like hunt for perverts and make sure like the streets are safe. Yeah. And I love it. It's I, this funny but also horrifying <laughs> scene because it's so yeah. terrible. And of course, they're like, well, can we keep our doors shut now? And their parents are like, no, we need the house to like breathe and we need the air in here. So it's like worth the risk of you guys being molested (laughs) yeah the parents are just they just don't care Uh, i think Uh, that's a i think that's an appropriate way to put it they don't care enough they don't care enough i I suppose yeah (laughs) they just don't care enough about their children's safety yeah and they're like well you're fine you were fine they kind of treat them like adults in a lot of ways they kind of expect them to react like they would in a situation, I think. Even more than adults, though, because yeah. if you lived with like a roommate who was molested because you left the door open, you would still, as a normal person, close the door. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it does not make sense. There's um, a part that they talk about when they lo- they're living in Phoenix where um, they're finally going to school because they haven't gone to school at all this whole time. Like their parents are just kind of teaching them on the road, but they're very well educated. So their parents obviously know something um, because they can all read really well. They're really good at math and like have learned about stuff. Um, But they're finally in school and then um, they get a physical exam and Jeanette's older sister, Lori, finally gets her eyes tested and it's revealed that she needs glasses. Yeah. And it's so sad. And it just tells you that like um, this is, what happens when you don't give your kids basic necessities, like medical necessities, and yeah. get them checkups. And you just discover that, like, Lori this entire time has been basically blind. Yeah. And when she can finally see, she's, like, in tears. And she asks uh, Jeanette, she says, can you see the leaves on the trees in the distance? And Jeanette's says, yeah, yeah, I can see them. She's like, no, but the leaves, not the trees, but the leaves. And Jeanette's says yeah i can Mm -hmm. and it's just heartbreaking because you realize that this entire time and and laurie has kind of been built up as you know she's the older sister but she's jeanette always kind of thought of her as like not enjoying the outdoors as much as her and brian more studious more studious Mm -hmm. stays indoors and then you kind of realize that she couldn't see yeah. She just couldn't see. She was blind yeah, the whole so time. Yeah, so of course she didn't want to go outside and, like, trip over shit. Like, she yeah. was just like, no, I'll stay inside and read where I can see. But, yeah, it's just really sad, and I think this is a really good example of their parents aren't doing something that is actively harming them, but by not paying attention and not giving them this basic care, um, it's negatively affecting them in a lot of ways. Like, Lori, for most of her life, couldn't really see very well, and... Then she finally gets glasses and her parents, her mom says that she doesn't believe in glasses, but then when she finds out they can get them for free, she's like, okay, fine. You can have glasses. That was one of the, I, I don't make many notes when I'm right when I'm reading, but that was one of the few. It was just her mom doesn't believe in glasses Yeah, because she was, she said that, you know, I think if your eyes are bad, you should exercise them, you know, by focusing. If you get glasses, your eyes will get lazy. Yeah. You insane person. You crazy person. (laughs) Um, Should we talk about the parents in a little more detail? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and and this was another thing that I really enjoyed about the writing style being so just kind of factual and from the kids' perspective early on, is that the parents there's a there's an air of mystery about them. Yeah. So she her dad is very smart, and you know is constantly reading about science and history and telling the kids about. Um, geographic phenomenon in the stars physics, and astrology, yeah. physics. And, you know, he comes across as very smart. But there's this aspect to him where, you know, he talks about running from the feds all the time. Yeah. And that could just be, you know, a, a dad lying to his kids. Um, but then he also has this thing in the book that is this large wooden contraption he's building to um, sift gold from water. Uh, from other soot and materials and they carry it with them it's one of the few things they take with them everywhere they go because he's constantly tinkering with it and he constantly is talking about striking it rich and finding gold somewhere in the west and it's very quirky and weird and you start to question is he smart yeah you know because it's pretty easy to fool a child yeah but you're you know you start to question like what who are these parents and what's their like mental state? Another interesting thing is that so Jeanette's always talking about how their dad tells them all these stories and he's like telling them bedtime stories and you know stories that entertain them and you're like, oh, that's nice. But an interesting aspect of that is that his stories are all about himself. So they're all these tall tales about how he saved the day when he was in the Air Force and saved this troop or he did this amazing thing or ran this race or did did something that was kind of extraordinary. And it's just sort of weird. Yeah. You know, it's like one thing to tell your kids like fairy tales or made up stories. But when they're all about you, like, first of all, that's setting you up for failure later in life because you're setting yourself up to be this larger than life almost mythic figure and of course when your kids grow up and they realize you're only human that's going to be a disappointment and then on the other hand why so focused on only on himself like is that a self-centered like self-absorption characteristic that he has that he's trying to like spin these tall tales about himself and have someone believe him even if it's a child yeah, yeah, there's kind of this weird... Another thing that isn't quite on the same level, but I was still really curious about, is the mother is an artist. Yeah. That's how she describes herself. That's her life aspirations, being an artist. And you hear about her painting all the time and writing and stuff. And the... She never describes the mom's art... No. ...from any kind of a, a criticism or anything. She just talks about her painting... And I was so curious the entire time. I'm like, is she a good artist or is she really bad? Yeah. Because you don't know. And later on when they're older and her older sister, Lori, starts to develop uh, an art phase. I shouldn't say phase because she becomes an artist, but she starts to get into art. Mm -hmm. She talks about her art. She makes signs in high school. And she talks about them being good. Yeah. She says like, oh, they were really great and kids bought them in school. And she was constantly. So in that instance, she does say they're good yeah and so for that reason i was really curious why isn't she kind of making a comment about the quality of her mom's art so i was really curious about that the whole time you know but they're um that's her actual art in the movie it is yeah and which yeah so that kind of and seeing the art i was like okay that's about the level i expected it's it's, not bad it's just like not. not anything 
Extraordinary. She paints horses and trees and landscapes, landscapes, and, and you know nothing that's super. Um, uh, she doesn't. She she specifically talks about varying things. She gets annoyed with artists who pigeonhole themselves in one style for too long. Yeah, and so she jumps around a lot, which kind of in my mind when I was reading it solidified. Okay, she's not focusing on anything too long. She doesn't have a. Um, a style she's developing or a niche or, yeah. and that kind of made me think that maybe she wasn't that good, that good, or at least outside of a hop, a hobby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And Jeanette's mom, um, I love this because Jeanette once described her as a really interesting and cool person, but like you could only really appreciate and like her if you didn't think of her as a mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so true because, you know, she's artistic. She's really interesting. She has this really kind of eccentric outlook on life, very positive, sort of rolls with the punches, and really likes to live outside of the normal, uh, yeah. is what I would say. And I, her mother kind of wanted her to focus on teaching and made her get a teaching degree, but she wanted to focus on art. And so I think having her mother not believe in her really and her artistic gift kind of made her like go really hard in the opposite direction where she was like, only my art is important, nothing else. Um, And it's really terrible. Like she should not (laughs) have had children. No. Like she just doesn't care. And it's not that she doesn't care. She just is so focused on herself that there's like no room for her to take care of others. She completely... Neglects her children yeah, in so many ways uh, as they grow up that, yeah, it's super clear that she regretted having children, I she think. She even tells them one time. <laughs> she tells them, <laughs> she's like, if I didn't have children, I could have been an artist by now and you ruined my life, basically. And, um, and that's, you know, I mean, who whose parents haven't said that to them? I mean. <laughs> yeah, but the, the real irony with her is that not only doesn't she take care of her kids, but frequently her kids have to take care of her. Yeah. Where, you know, she has a teaching degree, um, but throughout the most of the book, she doesn't have a job outside of her art. Yeah. Um, but when things get really bad financially, the kids and the dad kind of like force her into getting a teaching job. Because mm-hmm. every, every town they're in, they're always short on teachers. So there's always that possibility. Yeah. And a couple of times she gets a teaching job, um, but she is unorganized she doesn't like grading papers and doing that kind of work she doesn't like getting up in the mornings and literally the kids have to do things like grade her papers for her oh my god (laughs) and that was one of my favorite uh lines or moments in the book when uh uh, Jeanette is grading papers and she said that she liked it because she liked knowing she could do what parents do for jobs (laughs) and she's like only 10 (laughs) she's like i know i like knowing that i can do what a teacher does for like 80 percent of their job (laughs) so but yeah so the kids really have to pull a lot of weight around especially for their mom who kind of doesn't want to do anything to support the family as a whole yeah and their dad is always in a job and then losing a job and then you know kind of on the rails again so their whole life, they really struggle with poverty. They really struggle with hunger and having enough money to feed themselves, to, to clothe themselves, to have a place to stay. Um, but definitely the longer 
it goes, the worse it gets. And part of that, I'm sure, is Jeanette's age. You know, she's becoming more aware of, like, what's yeah. going on. But I think also, like, the older her parents get, the less they're able to kind of keep themselves held together and things start falling apart more. One thing I really like in the story is seeing how all of the kids' personalities develop mm -hmm. as they grow older. So Jeanette really likes her dad and is the one who kind of sticks with him the longest. The longest and gives him the ben benefit of the doubt the longest. She really idolizes him. She does. He's his hero. She, he's her hero. <laughs> <laughs> he is his own hero in a he lot of is. ways. He is. <laughs> but she just, you know, she kind of worships him and idolizes him in a lot of ways. And then you see Brian, as he gets older, starts to kind of not take the old man's shit as much. Yeah. He kind of challenges him more, kind of doubts him a lot more as he should sees through his facade yeah and then the older sister Lori, uh she kind of as the mom puts it develops a bit of a sarcastic streak <laughs> which is great she has this kind of real witty biting sarcastic sense of humor that i really like mm -hmm. and she also becomes really um and she's more connected to the mom than anyone yeah and really starts to to develop her love of art and things and then there's a younger sister who's born when they're still out west before they move to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And she is kind of too young for most of the story to really have much of a personality. Yeah. Um, but we learn a little bit more about her uh, when they're adults, which mm -hmm. is very, very interesting how that develops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about how they start, you know, they were moving around a lot and then they were in Battle Mountain. Then they moved to Phoenix for a while and things were okay for a while and then of course things started disintegrating and around this time you know their dad doesn't have a job their mom isn't working and the house is literally falling apart and the mom kind of gets this idea and she's like we need to move to west virginia where your dad's parents are because they can help us with money and they can support us yeah so they pack up their bags one more time and they move out to West Virginia. And the dad really doesn't want to go. Yeah. Like he's been back a couple times, but he left when he was younger and just really didn't want to go back. And he has a, they may imply that he has a complicated relationship with his family, but um, the mom kind of convinces him to finally go with them. Mm -hmm. And so they move out West to West Virginia and they stay with the parents. Well, yeah, they stay with the dad's parents for a little bit. Uh, should we talk about the movie a little bit right now? Because yeah. uh, the movie is set up very differently in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So the it does cover when she catches on fire. Yeah. And some of their time moving around out west. Uh, but not a ton. Not a ton, though. And really, it focuses more on when they move to West Virginia as kind of going into the second act. Yeah. You know, it sets up that they move around a lot, and then West Virginia is where uh, we really kind of see a lot of the shit go down. Yeah. And uh, the movie, like we said, still jumps back and forth between uh, the pr the adult Jeanette and the younger Jeanette. Mm -hmm. And adult... An adult... <laughs> adult. <laughs> adult Jeanette. Um, <laughs> adult Jeanette is with a guy mm -hmm. uh david david and they have a classy uh apartment in on park avenue yeah and it's so much so that it's almost parody a little bit it, it almost feels like a parody i mean this really happened like she ended up living with this guy and they he lived on park avenue and they 
um, ended up getting married. Um, but yeah, it almost is like, this is too much of a weird uh, contrast between her poor West Virginia life and yeah. her New York life that it's like, this is too much. But well, it's real. But it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and when she sees her dad... You know, he's constantly fueling this idea of, like, this isn't who you are. You're not this upper-class New York City girl. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're trying to feed into that. They're putting her... Yeah, they're putting her in this overly sophisticated, uh, upper-class apartment and lifestyle to contrast her growing up. Yeah. And almost into the negative. Yeah. And, And like we said, it's almost satirical in a way. Like... She constantly goes with David to um, dinners with clients because he's some kind of bank accountant. Mm -hmm. And, like, after the first dinner they're at at the beginning of the movie when they're leaving, he's like, oh, I can't believe they gave us the account right on the spot. He's always (laughs) talking about his accounts. Yeah, and we're like, shut up, David. Nobody cares about your accounts. (laughs) He's like, Jeanette, we have to go to the dinner tonight. We can really use the account. This This account is big for us, okay? Yeah, and she's like, uh, we don't have the same job. (laughs) Why don't you go to dinner and do this account thing? Pretty much. Uh, But the story, the plot line through her adulthood is that she's engaged to David now, and she hasn't told her parents yet, who are now living in New York City squatting in an abandoned apartment complex. Yeah, because they were homeless and then they decided to squat instead. But yeah, it's interesting because she's she doesn't want to tell her parents about him in a lot of ways because she knows they'll disapprove. But she's also trying to distance herself from them and not care about what they think. Yeah. I think it, it I mean, it works on some level mm-hmm. but it's just played up so much so you're kind of like a little sick of it by the time like things roll around like she's not telling them she's not telling her dad she tells her mom she doesn't want to tell her dad and there's all this kind of fabricated tension about it yeah and correct me if i'm wrong so when jeanette leaves west virginia to move to new york city mm-hmm. uh, things are really bad with her and her dad and they kind of leave in anger and things are bad do they ever describe when the parents come to New York City and how they kind of reunited? Or is it just supposed to be... Um, they do describe it in the book. They talk about... Um, in the book, I know. I'm, I'm saying oh, specifically the movie, though. In the though. movie, I don't think they address it at all. This is one of those instances where I wish I could have seen the movie without re- having read the book. Like, would you have understood the Would concept, I have known, yeah. Because it's only thinking back. I'm like, did they explain that in the movie or do I only understand it because I read the book? yeah. So I'm not, I don't think they did. I think, like, I don't think they explain how the parents followed the kids to New York City or how they, how she, because, you know, their relationship was turbulent when she left. Mm -hmm. And they don't explain how, if it was repaired, where it's at exactly. Um, So I, I, I don't know. That's kind of a bit of a hole in the story on the movie's part in my mind. Yeah. And I don't know if they're, they're expecting you to just think like, that scene where she's in the cab and she sees her uh, mom digging through the trash, if that's supposed to be the reveal or what. Oh, I didn't think about that. Like, if that's the first time she's seeing them in New York City? I don't know. I Like, from reading the book, you know that it's not. Yeah. But in the movie, that might be the first time she's seeing them. That's possible. Um, so the movie, there's kind of this plot line where they all get together for dinner in the parents Squat. abandoned complex yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is like why every other child has an apartment yeah. <laughs> but so they all get together and this is where Jeanette's gonna reveal that she's engaged to this guy 
Yeah. And like her lifestyle, they kind of play up David to be overly over the top, over the top. He's very he's very nervous and sweating through his shirt and they don't play him up antagonistically, Mm -mm. but they also don't make him look good, look too good. Yeah. He's kind of smarmy. Yeah. It's a good word, I'd mm-hmm. say. You know, like very corporate businessy, not super uh flexible, I would say. Yeah. Her dad says that he has a stick up his butt, you know, like <laughs> uh and they're really trying to, I think, go for the contrast between this guy and her dad and of course her dad hates him. Yeah, is it's weird because like her dad is focused on in the movie a lot more than the mom. Yeah. And they're really contrasting this boyfriend to her dad. Which is kind of a weird thing. I mean, I know a lot of that's kind of not a cliche, but that women go out with guys who are either like their dad or not like their dad. Yeah. And they're kind of like playing into that a lot, almost mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but there's a scene. So <laughs> the, the weird arm wrestling scene. Yes. Where David is drunk and the dad is drunk and they get into an argument and then they decide they'll settle it with arm wrestling. <laughs> And for some reason, everyone gets super amped up about this, yeah. especially the mom. And not that this scene couldn't have worked because it seems like something that could have developed that way because the dad is kind of a physical guy like that. And David's yeah. drunk, so I could see. But the mom is just going bananas in the background, <laughs> like yelling for her, you know, encouraging her dad. Um, but they start this arm wrestling competition. And then Jeanette goes from acting like she's too good for it to rooting on David against her dad. Yeah, and starts screaming like, kick his ass, kick his ass. And I feel like it's supposed to be sort of this revelation, like showing you like, oh, she still has this like West Virginian hick character like that likes, yeah. you know, some fights and is like has this like <laughs> rebel streak in her. And She's I, rough around the edges. I feel like that's what they were trying to show, but it felt sort of like too easy. Yeah, it felt re- like a really contrived setup with yeah. this arm wrestling. Like, everyone was way more invested in it than anyone would be over an arm wrestling Especially when two people who were doing it were drunk. You yeah. Know? And realistically, you would be like, oh my God. I, <laughs> I do like the way it ends, though, where uh, David beats him. Yeah. And he's kind of like, yeah, like in your face. And, you know, the dad wants a rematch and he tells him, anytime, old man. And then the dad just kind of decks him in the face. Like, yeah like pops him right in the nose and it kind of ends everything on a bad note mm-hmm. um, with Jeanette taking David away and he thinks his nose is broken. But so I, I kind of like where it went, but just the ride, the ride wasn't good. Yeah. Man. And she reveals like in, in that moment, like we're, we're engaged. Like yeah, he's, he's my like, fiance. And, and this is the writing. Ugh, the writing's not very good. Okay. <laughs> because when he says something about, you know, whoa, you should tell your boyfriend to be more blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, she's going to say, he's not my boyfriend. He's my fiance. Yeah. It's so cliche. And so I <laughs> I knew exactly what the next line was. And anytime I have that moment, I'm like. This is not good writing. I'm not a writer. So if I can kind of predict the next line, it's not great. Yeah. And this scene was not in the book at all. No, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have family reunions. And she was dating a guy who she lived with on Park Avenue. Who she married. Yeah. But she's kind of filtering a lot of her inner dilemmas in the movie through this boyfriend. Yeah. Like, is this who I want to be? Yes. Is this who I want to... Uh, like, she's trying on this lifestyle through him. Yes. And the book the book doesn't take that route at all. No. And 
I like in the book, it's more through her siblings, which is what I wanted it to be in the movie. You know, she talks to her siblings a lot about, you know, I don't know how I feel about mom and dad living on the streets. And her siblings are more like it's their decision, but she feels guilty about it. Mm -hmm. And I would have liked to have seen that more through the characters that she grows up with. Yeah. Than through this kind of new guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where the um, the movie is at this point, mm-hmm. you know. Let's talk about the slow descent into madness. Into the bowels of West Virginia hell. <laughs> <laughs> Things definitely take a turn when they move to West Virginia. Yeah. And, you know, you're not sure if it's just because West Virginia and the town that they specifically move into is very, like, depressed Um, or if it's just her dad kind of going back to his family in this kind of bad situation and things getting worse in that aspect, or if it's just Jeanette getting older and realizing that her family maybe isn't as great as she thought it was. But these factors kind of all combine to create a shitstorm in West Virginia. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the dad's trying to find jobs and he only gets odd jobs and the kids are just hungry a lot yeah and like they'll eat whatever they have butter with margarine or i'm so <laughs> butter with margarine <laughs> mixing the two types of butter it's crazy <laughs> uh no, i'm sorry margarine with sugar yeah um it's kind of like they say it tastes like frosting and the kids are just hungry all the time and it's super sad uh to hear jeanette talk about this childhood hunger yeah and dealing with it and this is where the dad – so before this, the dad would have these occasional um, alcoholic binges Yeah, where he would be gone – every once in a while when they would have money, he'd be gone for a night or two and then come home drunk. Um, this is where that turns into a more frequent, continuous – That turns into him being drunk all the time. Yeah. And there are some – incidents when they're out west that they describe um i think in phoenix mostly (laughs) where their dad is really drunk Uh, there's one where they like save a lot they say save their money and they buy a christmas tree and christmas presents and then their dad literally sets the christmas tree on fire and burns all their gifts and he like laughs about it uh so yeah that's a that's (laughs) a merry christmas there's another scene where he comes home drunk and he starts screaming for their mom whose name is Rosemary, and he's like, where are you? And he starts chasing her around the house, and, like, she grabs a knife, and then they're, like, fighting and tussling over it. It's kind of this scary, twisted scene. And in the end, they kind of just start laughing about it and make up, but it's like, this could have gone really, like, horribly yeah. in many different ways, and they just didn't really take it seriously. And, and this is where you really start to see their uh, mental state, because, you know, they're they're wrestling over a knife, and then, you know, she calls him an old drunk, and he's like, yeah, but you love this old drunk. And then that's when they start laughing and cracking up about it. Yeah. Like, like on it, like, you know, like, so quick, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and you see this not only just this awful codependent relationship, but there's definitely something um, wrong with both of them. Not stable. Not stable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the dad's drunkenness becomes more frequent and the kids are just first of all, they're adapting to West Virginia, mm-hmm. which as opposed to being warm and dry consistently is wet and snowy and then super humid mm-hmm. and they're in the house they get is this shack yeah that is the highest on the mountain of where they live 
and it's got three rooms. Uh, they they're There's all no plumbing. No plumbing. There's a. Uh, I, I love the description of it because it's set on a hill, mm-hmm. and I forget how she says it specifically, but the only side of the house that was flat against the hill was like the back of it like not the bottom of the house but like the back was basically yeah against the ground <laughs> almost uh but yeah so the and then like the porch juts out from the house like 10 feet off the ground and they have like a port they i'm sorry not a porta potty they have um basically a hole in the ground under the house that they shit in yeah um, they don't have running water. No. Occasionally they have electricity and gas, mm-hmm. but that's only when they remember to pay it. Yeah. And so it's really, it's kind of, and they're there for the long haul. Yeah. Like the kids on one hand kind of assume like, oh, we won't be here that long. but Because they've moved around so much their whole life. Yeah. But then it slowly dawns on them. The parents are like, mm, I think we're here for a while. Like yeah. I'm kind of done moving around for a while. And they're mm-hmm. like, shit, we're here for the long haul. And it sucks. And it's awful. <laughs> so, um, Jeanette's dad, his name is Rex, his parents, um, they initially stay with them when they first get to West Virginia. Um, but Rex's dad, Irma, is kind of this awful woman who is not very nice to the kids. And there's a scene where um, the parents actually go back to phoenix to try to get some of their stuff (laughs) they're like hey guys we'll be back it's one of my favorite misadventures in the story (laughs) they're like uh kids stay here with your grandparents and we'll go back to phoenix pick up our stuff and then we'll come back and they're like okay and the kids are just stuck with their grandparents for this time and there's this really awful part where jeanette kind of hears something going on and walks in on her grandma molesting her brother Brian. And it's this awful scene because, like, Brian is, like, trying to stop her from doing this. And she's saying, like, it's nothing. Like, I'm just trying to fix his pants. And then, you know, all the kids get in there. And Lori is basically like, okay, guys, like, stop. Calm down. Like, it's fine. You know, we can settle this. And then the grandma just slaps Lori in the face. Like, knocks her glasses off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of the best parts in the movie and the book. Lori just decks her right in the face. Like, she was trying to be, like, diplomatic and resolve things. Yeah. And she's like, fuck this, and just punches the grandma in the face. And, and then it- they all jump on her and they start beating <laughs> her up. And then their uncle, who lives there as well, kind of breaks them apart. It's really sad. I don't mean to, like, make light of the situation. No. Um, but it was just great to see someone punch that woman in the face. I know. You just wanted it so bad because she was so horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for the rest of the time they're there, the grandma makes them stay in the basement where it's so cold. They all just have to huddle all four kids under one blanket on one bed to stay warm. Yeah. Um, but it does raise this question. The kids are like, Jesus, if she did that to Brian, do you think she did that to dad when yeah. he was growing up? Mm-hmm. And it just suddenly makes sense because the dad didn't did not want to come back. Yeah. He clearly had weird mixed feelings about his mom and like the situation there. And nothing was ever confirmed. No. But for the but for Jeanette, it pretty much was that something was something went down. With something that. was amiss. Yeah. And what's the saddest part is that when her parents get back, um, her dad when they explain what happened, her dad doesn't take their side. 
Yeah. And he's kind of like, you shouldn't have disrespected her. And But she describes, he's like shaking his head yeah. like, he like a madman. He doesn't want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, he, he's, he's clearly something is wrong. Unresolved in Unresolved his life. with him, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of, then the grandma kicks them out after that, and that's when they get, they move to the shack. But uh, do you want to talk about their, their misadventure going to Phoenix, though? <laughs> I do, because so, <laughs> this is the parents all day, so... When they were still in Phoenix, they tried driving to the Grand Canyon. Um, and the dad, while accelerating his car to 100 miles an hour, it broke for down. Fun. For fun. It broke down on the side of the road, so they had to abandon it and go back to their house. And they left a lot of their stuff in that car. And then from Phoenix, they moved back. They moved to West Virginia. So the parents were like, we're going to go back to Phoenix. We're going to go to the house because they hadn't sold it or anything. They just... In fact, they didn't even lock it up, I don't think. No. They put dirty dishes in the sink so that people would think they were just out of the house. <laughs> they were just gone for a minute. So they were going to go back to their house to pick up some stuff and then hopefully find the car and get the stuff out of the car. Yeah. So they drive to Phoenix in this shitty beater clunker car. Yeah. They get to Phoenix, amazingly. They... Discover the house has been ransacked. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course it has. It was ransacked. Uh, I think the car was gone, too, and everything else. Yeah. Then they take some of the few things that were left at the house. They get a U-Haul. They try driving it back. And then partway back, the car bites the dust. And then they have to take a bus back. So literally. Leaving all their shit behind. The only thing they accomplished was breaking their car <laughs> on this entire trip while they were gone. Yeah. And that just tells you so much about these parents that, like, they don't think through anything through. They're so nonchalant about all their decisions. Yeah. And I was just cracking up reading this story. I'm like, they're so ridiculous. Yeah. It's so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So an interesting thing about the book, the the name The Glass Castle, is about actually a glass castle. So all of Jeanette's life, her dad is telling her that one day they're going to build a glass castle. He's going to design it. He has the blueprints you know, all written out and laid out. And he's like, the glass is going to be, there's going to be solar panels so we can like have renewable energy, which is like very innovative for this time, which was like the (laughs) seventies or something, sixties, seventies. And they're always designing it and they're always talking about it. And when they get to West Virginia, their dad is like, we're going to do it. We're going to make, we're going to build the glass castle. We'll find a place for it and we're going to build it. Yeah. And it's such a great metaphor in the book that, yeah. you know, it's kind of all these unfulfilled. Obviously, he does <laughs> not build a glass solar no. paneled house in West Virginia. In West Virginia. With their, like, $5 a year salary. Um, but, you know, in the book, it's, like we said, she doesn't put an, a lot of emotion into this or, like, reflection. It's just kind of, this is what he said. And so you as the reader are like, oh, this is, like, sad. It's all their unfulfilled dreams and, like, aspirations. It's a glass castle filled with broken promises. (laughs) (laughs) How reflective. Uh, But the movie really kind of plays this up and kind of in a cheesy way. I get it, but also, mm, you know. Uh, But the kids try filling up. They try digging the foundation for the glass castle while they're in West Virginia Mm -hmm. uh, behind their house. They, like, dig for days, like, this huge hole for the the foundation. And then, obviously, the dad's not doing much with it. And when they can't afford to have their trash hauled away anymore, 
the dad's like, throw it in the huge pit you kids dug in the back of the yard. And they're like, you mean the foundation for our future imaginary dream house? And he's like, yeah, fill it with garbage. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they couldn't have had a better metaphor for this if they tried. (laughs) Like, what was the dad thinking? Like, he literally was like, a glass castle full of like idealistic expectations has now been turned into a garbage pit. <laughs> I, I said a similar thing in Wild, which is the only other nonfiction adaptation yeah. we've talked about. But I'm like, if someone wrote this as a, a nonfiction, as a fictional story, I'm like, I would have been like, this is so on the nose. It's ridiculous. But yeah, it's it fucking happens. So. That's life sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's talk about the dad's drunkenness, because I think this is the last key component of their growing up. Yeah, and this is, in West Virginia, it really, really becomes something that's happening all the time and a huge problem. He becomes known as a town drunk, which is impressive, considering it's a West Virginia mining town. Yeah. (laughs) He had a lot of competition, (laughs) I imagine. Uh, And he outdid all of them. Yeah. Uh, So, you know... um, uh, Jeanette constantly has to find him yeah. at the bar when he's been gone for a few days and bring him back home. He starts kind of taking the little money they do have for cigarettes and beer and disappearing. Yeah. And he just becomes like, he's just leeching off the family. And he's not around. Like, he'll be there yeah. for a while and then he'll just be gone. And they don't know where he is. And they just don't have any money. They don't have any food. And meanwhile, like, Jeanette and her siblings are going to school, but they're, like, literally going into garbages to pull out food so that they can eat it during school. Yeah. And they're not bathing because they don't have running water, and it's winter, and they can't, like, bathe with, like, frozen water, and they don't have clothing. It's just, it's so awful. Basically, every basic human need that they need is not met, and their dad is just using the very little money that they do have to serve his addiction. Yeah, and, you know, the dad had this kind of balance before of, you know, he'd be on a bender for a bit or he'd have a drunken episode, but then he'd have a job for a while and he'd provide, and he kind of, like, had this tug of war with himself where he'd kind of go back and forth. But then in West Virginia, he really just becomes a huge burden on the family. Mm -hmm. Like, every once in a while, he'll have an odd job or, you know, support provide but bring some random money home for the most part it's it's pretty much downhill and this kind of culminates in a moment in a scene where he is he goes with Jeanette to a bar Mm -hmm. he says I need your help let's go it's a business trip so they go to the bar and uh the dad constructs this plan and we know from other stories he's a gambler yeah and a good gambler because he can count cards and Mm -hmm. he's kind of a um a hustler. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm going to play this guy at pool. I want you to kind of kind of flirt with him, kind of like keep him, you know. Interested. Yeah, keep him interested, keep his spirits up while I um, lose one match and then take him for all of his money. And Jeanette kind of agrees to go with it because this guy is basically the one kind of advancing on her. Yeah. So... She agrees. She dances with him a little at the bar, and then he'll play a game of pool and lose, and then he'll dance with her again. And she is 13 in the book. She's 13. 13. And this is like an, an adult man. Yeah. Um, I don't think they give an age. No. Like, at least, like, at, at the youngest, she's like mid-20s, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Uh, but she's 13. And at a certain point, when the dad has, like, gotten all of his money, 
he uh th- this guy is like hey you want to go up to my apartment that i have right above the bar conveniently <laughs> and listen to some records and the dad when she when Jeanette kind of turns to the dad like okay now help. is when you would be like oh no i got to get this girl home help he's me. like oh yeah i don't care do it do whatever you want to do he says don't do anything i wouldn't do holler if you need me and so she's kind of swept away up to this room yeah and pretty much right away this guy tries to rape her yeah and again Jeanette is 13 years old and she ends up actually kind of talking her way out of it she shows him her burned scars on her body from when she was young and it kind of like startles the guy enough that she can kind of get away yeah and she tells her dad when she leaves she's like you know he attacked me and her dad's just like oh I knew you could handle it Mm-hmm. I, I knew you could get, you know, this is, this is fine. Yeah. Uh, and this is just kind of a, a turning point for her. Yeah. Um. Now in the movie, there's some key differences to this. There's some very key differences. And we haven't talked a whole lot about um the movie differences from these past experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is one of the, the biggest ones because first of all, she's 17 in this story. Yeah. And not only 17, but in the movie at this point, She's being played by Brie Larson. Yeah. Who is... Who plays the adult version, is, which yeah. is like at least mid-20s. At least mid-20s, probably late-20s. So she clearly... It doesn't feel like there's a huge like age difference or like a power yeah. dynamic issue with her and this guy that she he, her dad's kind of pushing her. I mean, she feels betrayed by her father, and that feeling is still there, but it's... N- not as disturbing as having a 13 an actual 13 year old girl in this situation with an older man who literally would have raped her if she hadn't used her wits to get away yeah and there's another key difference to this story in the setup so and this is what something i've been thinking about a lot with this adaptation and not only this adaptation but non-fiction adaptations in general yeah and so the movie rearranges a lot mm-hmm. so a lot of things that happened um before they got to west virginia they set in west virginia yeah which is fine like i sure it makes i get it you know you kind of have to rearrange things so that they are a little bit more of a linear cohesive narrative um but something that was very different was um in this scene before the scene uh rex's mother dies irma dies Mm -hmm. and so they go to the funeral and then it was right after this scene in the movie that they set the bar scene. Yeah. So in the movie, he's kind of being played as possibly being in mourning. Yeah. Maybe. Or dealing with his complicated emotions about his mother. Yeah. So there's kind of this extra layer of uh, complication to Justification, his Yeah, justification. For why he's acting this way. And in the book, these two things do not follow each other in this way no and so this is where i started to struggle with this idea because you know they're changing the context of events based on how they rearrange them mm-hmm. and not only you know, and you know it's not just based on a book it's based on true events does and the movie have an obligation to tell the story right exactly and i think this movie in particular does because by the end of the movie 
when the cl- credits are closing, they show real pictures. Yeah. They show real pictures of the dad and the family growing up. They show footage of them. Mm-hmm. So they're really drawing a connection to this story being real real Mm -hmm. being the true story of what happened yeah as opposed to like inspired by yeah let's say because that's also a fair thing to do is like this movie is inspired by these events yeah we're not saying they're 100 percent factual but they're inspired this is really drawing the connection that this is who these people were yeah and these are how things played out and that is interesting, like just rearranging scenes and putting some things together. It does change the tone. It changes the context of what's going on and how you interpret the characters. Because in this scene in particular, you might have more sympathy for Rex, for Jeanette's dad, because his mom just died, you know, and maybe he's feeling bitter and feeling lonely and he kind of takes it out on Jeanette. Whereas in the book, he's just trying to make some money and he kind of thinks that Jeanette can take care of herself, even though she's a 13-year-old girl. You know, there's just so much difference in that portrayal. Uh, it really leaves you with a different impression. Yeah, so, you know, just something to consider that's very different with nonfiction is how true is it to the real story and how true does it need to be? How true does it kind of set itself up to be? Yeah. Especially by the end of this movie when they show real footage and real clips and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk briefly about the actors and actresses? Because I think we've oh yeah talked enough about the story. Um, uh, Brie Larson, I like. Yeah. She's not my favorite, though, in this movie. She's fine. She's fine. Mm-hmm. You know when it started and she's doing the kind of West Virginia accent? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm by no means a... a reliable expert <laughs> on accents. On accents. But... Something about it was a little hammy mm-hmm. in my mind. But for the most part, she's fine. I don't know. Uh, Woody Harrelson. Is the dad. Yeah. What did you think? I think Woody Harrelson plays this type of character well. Mm-hmm. This uh, kind of flawed but charming man. Um, but I think it ends up maybe affecting you a little bit more than you expected because he's almost too likable. Yeah. Um, whereas I think we really needed to see the dark side of her dad a little more. I agree. In my mind, that's a script thing. Yeah. I wish the script had gone like more into his alcoholism and his darker side and like made him more of an uncompromising character. Yeah. But I think for the character that was on the script, uh, Woody Harrelson played him really well. Mm-hmm. There's a couple scenes where, and, and this is another you know issue, uh, when he's drunk in the movie. He's way calmer. He's not the raging, violent, destructive drunk that he is in the books. Yeah. He's more, like, quiet and, like, reserved and sitting at a desk at night Mm -hmm. uh, drunk. But Woody Harrelson plays him really well, though. Um, Yeah. You know, there's a scene where he, when the daughter asks, when Jeanette asks him if he can stop drinking. Because he said he would do anything for her. And that was her request. Would you stop drinking for me? And you can really see it hit Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And he says, like, you must be so ashamed of your old man. And, you know, you see his tear, his eyes getting red. And, like, it, he he really does a good job with the role mm-hmm. um, for how it's written. I just wish it was written a little more challengingly. I wish that, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the mom. Yeah, the mom, I feel like they 
they glossed over her a lot in the movie. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of ways, the mom can sometimes be more problematic than the dad. Yeah. Um, mostly because the dad at least has the, the addiction alcoholism excuse. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mom just is unable to care for herself, let alone her children. Yeah. Unable, like not proactive, doesn't really have agency of her own sort of helpless, along for the ride type of person. And she she's just, more pitying of herself. She does in pity moments. herself. Yeah. And she, now, now to be fair, I think they both have like severe, like either, I think she's bipolar or I hate to, I don't want to diagnose yeah, people, but no, I was reading some stuff that kind of was maybe pointing to the parents, both being bipolar, the dad, especially because you know, he, ha- he has these moments of genius and brilliance and he holds down a job for a while and he's really smart and he thinks he can do anything. He's, he thinks he's invincible. He thinks he can invent all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he has these really low moments and he, you know, succumbs to his addiction. So especially with the dad, but I think in the mom too. Yeah, absolutely. And the mom's more frustrating because anytime something's horribly wrong, she just has these really simplistic responses Yeah. of, you know, oh, Brian busted his head open and he's bleeding everywhere. And she'll be like, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. Now go back outside and play. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you just want to like shake her. Like, yeah. And ugh. she's just not interested in mothering at all. Yeah. Um, they talk about when... Jeanette is like cooking for herself a lot when she's young. She's like, you know, I could cook for an hour and then have all this food be gone instantly. Or I could spend that hour painting a work of art that'll be around forever. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, yeah, that's great. And that is a good point. But also, like, you you're, have to take care of your children. But your kids can't eat a painting for, yeah. <laughs> for survival. <laughs> and, you know, I think the other disservice they did to the mom in the script is that she's much more challenging of the dad than she is in the book. Yeah. Uh, it's only in her lowest points in the books that she's like... I don't want to live this way. And, mm-hmm. you know, your dad is terrible. But she just takes it most of the time. Yeah, most book. of the time she's like just, just like along for the ride and like doesn't care. Uh, but in the movie, they try to like make her more sympathetic. Yeah. I think and try to. She's kind of quirky. Yeah. Uh, but they really play up Woody Harrelson as being like complicated patriarch of the family and yeah. how he fails or rises up to the challenge. So. Uh, I think just, once again, in the script, I think it fails the mom character a bit. It does. Yeah. And so the kids grow up, and they eventually decide that they have to get out. They GTFO hard. They're like, our parents aren't going to go. We're never going to get out if we don't do it ourselves. So they kind of plan to move to New York City. And they save up a lot of money, and they've been working really hard. And, of course, their dad takes the money. Um, Mm -hmm. Lori is about to go to New York City, and the dad breaks into their piggy bank and goes on a bender with the money. Um, and it's really sad, but you were kind of expecting it to happen. I knew it was going to happen. Like as soon as they mentioned the piggy bank, just being like on their dresser or something, like, what are you doing? Hide it. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's an addict. He's going to do anything he can to see his habit. Yeah. But luckily they get, um, Lori a summer job so she can, um, make her way to New York city. And then, a year after that, uh, Jeanette follows her. Yeah, so Jeanette goes, 
and stays with Lori. And then eventually they're like, let's get Brian up here too. Yeah. Because things are just getting worse. And they get Brian. And then eventually they get their youngest sister, Maureen, too. Yeah. Who's like 12. And they're like, send her up here and we'll yeah. put her Lori's in school. Yeah. Lori's like, I will take care of her. Like, yeah. get her up here. And mm-hmm. the mom is the most supportive of this. And the dad kind the dad gets a little... Uh, irked about this yeah in the, the movie he's much more angry about yeah it. he like chases Lori as she's leaving and this is kind of like once again altering the story for the movie in yeah. an untruthful way that he was like really um opposed to them opposed going. to them leaving where in the book there's this kind of sweet bittersweet moment mm-hmm. of when Jeanette leaves on the bus and he takes her to the bus station and he's sober and he gives her like this pocket knife that he's always had and like yeah. and it's really sad because she thinks about how he grew up in this town and like is back there and maybe will never leave yeah and maybe there's probably complicated emotions as he sees her go it's really impactful but mm-hmm. the movie kind of goes for this simplistic like oh he's, he's controlling and he's mad that they're going mm-hmm. uh yeah so and then eventually <laughs> the, the parents come too yeah then the parents decide to go to new york city and where they quickly lose control of their lives and end up homeless. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they all kind of pursue their passions. Brian becomes a police officer. Laura becomes an artist. Mm-hmm. Jeanette becomes a writer. Uh, except for Maureen, who yeah. in, in real life lives with the parents mm-hmm. in, this, um, squat. in this squat. And I guess let's just mention it now. Yeah, she... Um ends up kind of dating um, different types of guys and then kind of in and out of staying with her parents, staying with other people. And then um, she gets really pissed at her mom one day and tries to stab her. (laughs) Yeah. She freaking straight up stabs her mom. Yeah. uh, And then has to go to like, yeah, is arrested, of course. (laughs) Uh, And then... Like, that's kind of a whole... Goes into a mental hospital for a while. And then after that, she just straight up moves to California. Mm-hmm. And from my percep- perspective on the book, she, like, kind of estranges herself from her family and that Jeanette maybe hasn't Seems seen that her way. in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they talk about, too, like, when she's in the mental institution that, like, she had schizophrenia and was kind of dealing with that. And so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ma- Maureen... She ends up the way you would imagine all of the kids would have ended up. Ended up, yeah, (laughs) with that upbringing. But the other kids were just phenomenal and like you know stuck it out. Let's talk about the way the movie ends in the third act. Yeah, because the the book kind of ends here. You know, it sort of ends with like her parents move back up, and then you know she sort of still sees them. She has a complicated relationship with them, but like things are mostly fine. It kind of ends that way. Yeah. Uh, the, the movie. movie. <laughs> we get we get some of the cheesiest moments in this movie. Yeah. Where so she when her dad punches David, this kind of leads to her cutting them out of her life for a while. So she hasn't seen them in a long time. She and David get married, and then it's been I'd say years since they've seen each other. And then her mom's calling her again. She's like, I need to talk to you about something. Like, please come see us. Like, it's important. And Jeanette's kind of struggling with, like, who am I? Should I go back to my parents? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's a scene um, before this, though, where they they show up at a party, a fancy schmancy party Mm -hmm. that the parent that. I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, that Jeanette's throwing. (laughs) And they end up in a fight. 
And it's this whole dramatic scene where Jeanette confronts the parents in front of everyone about her dad being a piece of shit and a drunk Mm -hmm. and him talking about being successful and loving isn't the same as doing it. Yeah. And this is supposed to be a dramatic moment because Jeanette's been so secretive about where she comes from and her parents this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just feels really contrived it feels and forced. Over, it feels very over the top, you know? Yeah. Like, of course, they're having a fight in a public place and it's dramatic. And I guess I was wrong. That was when they she kind of cut <laughs> them out of her life. Yeah, that's when they kind of have the sep- – I mean, I, I get why you would like kind of gloss over that. <laughs> I, I want it's to. It's not super important. It's not. It's just cheesy. Uh, and then she gets contacted by the mom and is like, your dad needs to see you. So she goes to visit and she discovers that the dad is sick and dying Mm -hmm. and he kind of stopped talking. And so she's there to, and and, and it's, oh my God, you know, the stance the movie's taking. Yeah. Which is so frustrating. Which the stance is that she had an interesting childhood and she's an independent and eccentric and cool person and she's not this corporate rich lady. And it's all thanks to her dad. Yeah. Uh, because there's like a moment where she's in the cab with her husband, her now husband, David. Mm-hmm. And she's debating about seeing them again. And I, I think and he's like, don't go back to them like you're, you've been so much better without them. Mm-hmm. And she goes, but have I been? As she looks out the window and I wrote in my notebook, I'm like, what? Are yeah. you kidding? Of course you've been. Like, <laughs> you're eating and you have money and a job. And, like, what do you mean have you been better off without them? You have. Like, yeah. how is that even a question? Mm-hmm. Um, but this leads to what I like to call uh, the dinner <laughs> honesty dramatic speech scene. Where, and I know you know this scene. It's like someone's in a restaurant and they're, like, kind of in a scenario that they don't really want to be in. And then they suddenly decide to be very radically honest. And so someone's like, oh, where did your parents come from? And she's like, actually, my parents are really poor and homeless and shitty, and they live in this squat right now. And, and David's I'm, like, honey, honey, please. And I'm from West Virginia, and it's who I am. And then she kind of like leaves the restaurant and storms out. Too dramatic. I've yeah. seen this scene oh my God. many times before. <laughs> the the um, abrupt honesty with total strangers, yeah. as it should be coined, because you, you've just seen it in movies before, even though I can't name any off the top of my head. And then she's like running yep. to her dad, and it's like this running montage where they like put in scenes of her childhood like laughing with her dad and like playing with her dad and it's supposed to be like oh she's remembering all the good times and I'm like come on you're better than this you're better than this (laughs) (laughs) and she gets to the house in time and like she sits with her dad and they start talking and they start reminiscing and I I wrote in my notebook I was like uh so heavy-handed with like 10 o's yeah and then i put um oh we're uh just like oh they're naming a bunch of stuff that happened in the book cool yeah because they're just naming like scenes that they didn't film but they didn't get to remember the the time that we petted the cheetah in the zoo (laughs) remember the time that we tobogganed down that snowstorm that didn't happen but it might as well have like (laughs) they're just kind of naming things that happened in the book yeah and he is like i'm so glad you're nothing like me and she's like i am though and i'm happy for that i am like you dad uh my note was uh kill me dead wow 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 (laughs) 
And like the book ends where her dad is also dying and she kind of gets to talk to him again, but they, they don't really get, she doesn't really get into their discussion. She's like, we remembered old times together and then, you know, we parted on good terms and then two weeks later he died. And so I think it was more meaningful to the author that she got a chance to kind of reconnect with him and have this good moment with him before he died. And of course the movie is like, we have to make it the most emotional scene possible. Yeah, but it just, this movie was such a gutless adaptation. Yeah. You know, I've seen movies, and I really like when they do this, when they really present a problematic... Character. Really unlikable character, and then they put them in a situation where suddenly you can relate to them. Yeah. Or you appreciate them. And I remember there was a movie, um, Broken, Mm -hmm. which I really like. Uh, I saw it when I was in the Cleveland Film Festival, and there's this horrible dad character who beats people up and he's horrible and awful and like just a shit the entire time Mm -hmm. and then at the end he ends up like saving this girl's life and a lot of people would probably call it like emotionally manipulative like I know people have issues with that Mm -hmm. but for me I I find that really impactful when a movie like has a character that is more than just one thing yeah they shine a light on like hey you know you might hate him but that doesn't mean he's like a totally evil person yeah and i really wish the move this movie had had more guts to do something like that and it's especially disappointing because we mentioned this at the beginning but this uh director daniel destin cretton also directed this other movie starring brie larson called short term 12 and it's about kids in this um uh, treatment or kind uh, of what do you call that in between house or something yeah. like bef- between if placement play like ho- ho- house or something yeah, yeah if they're if they're going to a um, it's a short-term care facility yeah 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 um but it's kind of about these kids who have this trauma and these um people that are running the house but also have their own issues and it was it's so good it's amazing it is so good i love it and it's so disappointing because, you know, you're like, oh, it's the same director and Brie Larson's in it. This movie is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, you know, it's not the same. So definitely watch Short Term 12 if you haven't seen it already. It's really good. Soundtrack's really great. Great performances. Yeah. And there's something else about in Short Term 12, his directing style is so much more naturalistic. Yeah. The way dialogue plays out is more natural. The mm-hmm. way it's filmed and lit is more natural um, and edited. But then something about this movie took a big step back and suddenly felt more Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood theatrical, I would yeah, say. Yeah, the, the dialogue was more wooden. Um, the, the the characters were more easy. And, like, there was a score in it that felt most of the time very hammy and heavy-handed. Like, this is a beautiful moment. This is a sad moment. Like, this score kind of, like, really... Um, was trying to dictate how you felt about a scene. Yeah. And and I really didn't like that. So, yeah, I don't know if it was just him taking on a bigger movie than he was had done before. I'm not yeah. sure what or happened. Or if it was the, the screenplay, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, since he didn't write or adapt it. I don't mm-hmm. know, but it was disappointing because these are kind of his two main movies, and this one was a big step back from the last, so. Yeah. Um. Another thing I just want to mention is, so I was looking up a little bit about the author, Jeanette Walls, um, to kind of see where she is now. And she eventually divorced her first husband and ended up marrying this other guy and became an, you know, a writer of books, not just a writer of uh, newspaper articles and columns. Um, and 
she's doing well in her life, but I was reading interviews and they were talking about how she has this really weird relationship with food, how she doesn't like to eat all the time and kind of sees it almost as like food is only fuel and she almost like doesn't like being dependent on it. So she'll like kind of not eat for a day or two sometimes just because. Um, And this is to me a direct result of being hungry and starving as a child all the time and almost not wanting to be too reliant on food for fear that it would be taken away from her. Yeah, not to psychoanalyze, but I'm sure she's like deep down like, I want to know that if I don't have food again, I can still get by. Yeah, and I like I know her mom, who's still living and actually lives on in a cottage on her property now, kind of makes the comments like, oh, you had a good childhood, like it made you into the person that you are now, why would you complain? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, it made her into the person that she is now, and she's a very strong, independent person, but like at what cost, you know, what is the trauma that she's faced throughout her life? And another interesting thing is that none of the girls in the family ever had children. Brian had a daughter, I think, but none of them had kids. And it's like, maybe they felt like they couldn't have kids after what they went through. I mean, it's just. I know. And, and to argue that like, oh, you turned out fine. Doesn't justify treating your kids horribly. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it's sad. The book is... I don't think we even really need to tell you which one is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This conversation is pretty much exposed. The book is amazing. Yeah. I really loved reading it. This was my first time reading it. Um, and I've been wanting to read it for a long time. But I love her style. I love that she's just kind of presenting you with what's going on. And you can kind of draw your own conclusions from it. She's not self-pitying at all. And she's kind of shows you the good and the bad, which I liked because, you know, every person is complicated and every relationship is complicated, especially with parents. But it's such an impactful story. Yeah, I uh, I was really bad about um, trying to keep up with reading it for this episode. Mm-hmm. And so basically I had to read three quarters of the book just in one day. And I was only able to do it because the book was so good. Yeah. Like, I, I it was just something between her writing style and the story, like I was just absorbed in it Mm -hmm. and couldn't put it down anyway. Uh, It just sticks with you. It does. You know, it's one of those stories that I'm still thinking about and I I love that about it. Yeah. And the movie was very disappointing. It kind of went the easy way out with this setup. You know, they kind of showed her dad as this ultimately redeemable character, um, but without showing any of like, the gray areas, I think, you know, it was like every scene was either good or it was bad. You know, there wasn't these bittersweet in between scenes that we get a lot of in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So many of the stories in the book are like, you know, you can see, you can, you can tell as an adult reader that her childhood situation is terrible. Yeah. But as a child and writing in that perspective, like there's still kind of these like quirky, funny misadventures. Yeah. And joyous Mm -hmm. moments and things that she's doing. And it kind of just like, warms your heart to see like her still living as a child and like dealing with shit she shouldn't but still kind of like almost not letting that get in the way of her appreciating her life in some ways yeah Yeah, and having good memories Mm -hmm. yeah and the the movie is just sort of like (laughs) it's not the worst but i would be really interested to see uh someone watch this without reading the book and see how much they really understand because I think there are a lot of gaps. Yeah. You know, just 
what sticks with you about this movie is how bad her childhood was growing up and then her overcoming it. And the movie kind of really softens her childhood. Yeah. And kind of gives you parents who are like, well, they're not the worst. Yeah. Like, they're not terrible. <laughs> they're they're okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. So read the book. Read the book. Absolutely. The book is very good. I really liked it. And like Ian said, it kind of goes quickly because you get really sucked in and you want to keep reading. Um, so that's a plus. Yeah. Read the book. Book is better. <laughs> We have decided. (laughs) (laughs) Lightning round? Lightning round. Okay. So for our first lightning round, um, one of the things I loved about the book that the movie really stripped away was like the humor. Yeah. Because there's a lot of good humor kind of buried in this horribleness of the book, especially early on when the kids are really young. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite stories and tidbits is... um, Jeanette, when she's younger, loves collecting rocks in the desert. Yeah. Uh, Amethyst and like quartz and like all these different kinds of rocks. And like she has favorites and she like has a shop, you know, that she sets up to sell them. (laughs) (laughs) Except she's like selling the rocks at like astronomical prices, like $800 for like one rock. And the dad tells her like, you know, you might sell a few if you like lower your prices a bit. (laughs) She's so funny because she's like, you know what? Um, I would feel bad if I sold them for less than this. Like, if I don't, I'd rather just keep them. <laughs> and so and she ends the part with saying that, like, her only customer was her dad, who bought a piece of, like, quartz from her only after she lowered the price from 600 to 500 and then sold it on credit to him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though, because it... it, it shines a little bit of a light on their relationship and it's just a funny and the fun that they had together yeah yeah Yeah. um there's this great part in when they're in west virginia where they are living in abject poverty and they talk about getting wanting to get food stamps or going on welfare and their mom tells them um no we i don't want you guys to go on welfare because i think that it would cause you psychological damage (laughs) and i'm like i think going hungry for your whole life and being really cold all the time actually causes you more psychological damage than being like oh i have to have money for the government like shitting in a bucket in the kitchen as a lifestyle is i think preferably is much more damaging than welfare (laughs) okay so there's a kind of a huge almost plot twist not really a plot twist but moment in the book and movie that is so revealing that we didn't mention yet, but the mother approaches Jeanette uh, suddenly and is like, I need to borrow money. She's like, the um, land that I inherited from my mom, my brother inherited half, so we each have half. Uh, He's selling his, and I want to buy it. I want to keep it in the family. Mm -hmm. I want to buy his half of the land. And Jeanette's like, okay, how much money do you need for it? She's like, a million (laughs) dollars. Jeanette's like, what? She's like, what the fuck? And she's like, yep, I need a million dollars to buy his land. She's like, how? Wait, his land is worth a million dollars. She's like, yep. She's like, and that's his half of the land. She's like, yes. She's like, so therefore your half of the land would also be worth 
around a million dollars. And she's like, well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I never had it appraised. Yeah. She's like, but probably <laughs> it's at least worth something. Yeah. She's like, I don't know. So and this whole time she's yeah. owned this money. The entire this time land. that they've been starving and living in poverty in West mm-hmm. Virginia and d- digging food out of the trash, her mom has been sitting on essentially a million dollars. Yeah. And she's like, why didn't you sell it? She's like, you don't sell land. You keep it in the family. Like you <laughs> That's never. That's what my parents always taught me. Yeah, you never sell land. And it, you're you, like, not even for your children, like almost dying. Like <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of, it's super revealing. Just that there is no limit or amount. Like this is how the parents wanted to live. Yeah, and they had the biggest out you can possibly have of sitting on a million dollars and they just didn't want to do it. No. So I, I, I very revealing and horribly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a part in the movie right at the end um, where they show clips of um, movies with the parents and pictures of them too. And it's really interesting because actually the parents were in a documentary about squatters in New York City and they like interviewed them and it was like kind of all out there and um, open and stuff even before Jeanette kind of went public about her family and everything. But I, it was so cool. You could just, you saw little bits of it at the end of the movie, which was one of the best parts to be able to see them in real life. So yeah, I, I love seeing clips of them just brought to life. Those real people. I enjoyed that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that wraps it up. Yep. Read the book, read the book, skip the movie, skip the movie <laughs> book is better. Yep. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at cover to credits. Uh, that's the number two email us at cover two credits at gmail.com. That's the normal way it's spelled (laughs) t-o um find us on facebook and also find us on patreon we're on patreon um we just released uh a first episode of our monthly bonus podcast called after credits Mm -hmm. where we talk about the best movies and books of 2017 that we experienced and there will be another episode in february and so on and so on and that's available for our patrons so uh go ahead and check out our patreon and uh See what you can see. Um, if you can't become a patron, uh, please leave us a review on um, iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate it. Um, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.